0: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, worship team. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I mean that sincerely. It's really good to see you. I don't know if you um, think about this, but most of us, when we come to church and we think about whether or not we're going to go to church, we primarily think about what we might get out of it, right? Like this will be good for me. This is what I want to get out of it. So therefore I'm going to go. And rarely do we think about the blessing that you are, uh to everybody else just by showing up and so like when I say it's good to see you like you being here today is a blessing to me I'm really grateful that you're here just your presence you may be thinking well I don't have anything to offer I hope you don't ask anything of me uh no no that's not what I mean I just just your presence here today together together with the saints is such an honor and privilege and so I want to say that to you church thank you for showing up today it's good to see you If you're visiting with us today, we're honored to have you. Truly, we are, and uh, and hope that you feel welcome so far. And that any questions you might have about the church would get answered before you leave, as you head out. um, I'll be available. Our elders will be available in the in the commons area to answer questions. We want to make sure we answer any questions you have about our church, about the church in general, about who God is, and what it means that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. Whatever your questions you're wrestling with like we want to serve you by by having that conversation with you and praying for you if you'd like that um, but also want to just take a step further if you have been coming to Solid Rock for a while I was listening to um, our live welcome and our vision video and you're hearing about all this work that God is doing and yet you feel like you're kind of on the sidelines watching that happen in other people's lives and you're not quite sure what to do with that I want to invite you to take Take a a risky step by getting involved. To take that courageous step to say, I might be nervous about getting involved. I don't know what that means, what they'll expect of me. I, I totally get that. But just encourage you to take that step and see what God might do in your life and maybe even sign up for a welcome class or talk to our elders about getting more involved or just maybe something specific God's calling you to do like let us know what that is and let us help you take that step so if you're visiting with us especially glad to have you thanks for thanks for giving us your time this morning Uh, we are going to be in Acts chapter 2 this is week 2 in the sermon series uh, titled the dawn of the church Uh, The title is, is describing the idea that we're looking at the moment in time, the moment in history where the church started, the dawn of the church. And really doing this for a couple of reasons. One is that as we go through this series together, Acts chapter 2, and we see what the church looked like in its most, like, in its infancy, its most pure form, like just the beginning of the church, what it looked like, it helps us understand why we do what we do. Like, why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why do we take communion? Why do we preach? Why do we open the Bible every time we're together? So it helps us kind of understand the why behind church, but it also helps us kind of measure ourselves. So the Word of God will describe itself um, like a mirror. That when you open it, you're going to see a reflection of yourself and a reflection of who God is calling you to be. And it it works that way. You can see things about your character that you wouldn't have seen before. Maybe some things you need to address or change. But it works that way for the church as a whole. As we open God's word, it can show us maybe where we're missing the mark. Maybe somewhere where we need to recalibrate or, or alter our course a few degrees to realign with um, the biblical view of what it means to be called the church it's not enough just to put a sign out front on the lawn that says such and such church meets here there are biblical principles and guidelines and descriptions of what a church is and so that's our prayer as we go through this series together and just so you know we're primarily going to be in Acts chapter 2 and after today's sermon, we'll only have like seven verses left in Acts 2 and we're gonna slow down after today. Matter of fact, we're gonna take four weeks just to get through one verse after today. And so like, we're gonna take our time now in the seven verses that follow today's sermon. So we've still got five or six weeks left after today as we move through Acts chapter 2, uh, the dawn of the church. All right, so you heard several times today, this verse 21, this beautiful, powerful promise that God makes that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved now if that promise is true that's the biggest promise that anybody has ever made to you if God is truly making that promise to you that everybody including you if you call on the name of the Lord you shall be saved that's a huge promise so what's going to happen today is last week we, we saw where the power of the church comes from that it's the Holy Spirit If anything good comes out of Solid Rock Church or another church that you attend, if anything like eternal comes out of that church, uh, the, the efficacy of the church is the Holy Spirit, not the personality of the pastor or how awesome the Sunday school teachers are. Like truly, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows good things to come out of the church. And so we, we noted last week that the power of the Holy Spirit in the church is primarily to empower us to deliver a specific message. So today we're going to be looking at the message of the church. In a lot of ways, this is a sermon about sermons. <laughs> this is a sermon about preaching. This is, this is a sermon that will hopefully help you, whether you attend here um, on a weekly basis And you come and you sit underneath the preaching of of those who come on this platform or maybe you're visiting from another church or you're looking for a church when people ask me like hey i'm looking for a church we're moving to such and such city can you help me find a church one of the first things i look at oftentimes even before the statement of faith is what is the method of preaching because if god's word is handled appropriately and handled it in the right way especially from the preaching then that trickles out into everything else that church does it's more important than the style of music more important than how big it is or do they do Sunday school or small groups like one of the most important um, attributes or characteristics of a healthy church is the preaching And so I just present that to you today, even if you come here, we have a preaching team. Next week, Nick's gonna be preaching and later on this year, you're gonna get to hear from Jeremy and from Blake and from Jeff. The measurement of whether or not my eye or those men are doing their job is really, we're gonna hit that today. What's the criteria for biblical preaching? What is our message as a church? So we're gonna get started really digging in in verse 22. So Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up, To preach the first sermon this is big time and so he says men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, what Peter just did is he really set the pattern for all preaching he just covered, and he's going to unpack it further, but he just covered the ground of what we call the gospel. Okay, so let's walk through this together. What does he do? First of all, he identifies who he's talking about, Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name uh, in this day and time. There were other individuals who went by this name, so he is specific. I'm talking about Jesus of Nazareth. Like, that should ring a bell. Oh, that's right. He's the one who was just crucified on the cross about seven weeks ago in Jerusalem at Passover. That Jesus, a man attested to you. Now this word attested means to be pointed out to you by God. Like when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, what God is doing in his life, God the Father, God the Father's pointing him out. But it also could be translated proven to you. It's this idea of attested to you. He's been proven to you or demonstrated to you who he is. This is the one I'm talking about, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who has been demonstrated to you by what? By miracles and signs. So all the miracles and signs that accompanied Jesus were meant to do what? To point him out. They weren't meant to impress us. They weren't meant to entertain us. Even the healing that individuals received while a blessing, what they received wasn't the ultimate aim of their healing. think about that. We talked about that when we were in the Gospel of John. When Lazarus gets raised from the dead, you know he has to die again, right? Like that was a little bit about Lazarus, but that was mainly about Jesus. God was attesting to us. He was pointing Jesus out to us through these miracles and signs. So think about going forward for the church. What, What are the wonders and the signs and the miracles of the church meant to do? Not point us out, right? To point who out? To point to Jesus, so I 'd say be, be cautious or leery of any believer who, who wants you to, to look at the miracles and signs coming out of their ministry or out of their life that point to them. Just fair warn of God right? So clearly the signs and miracles of God are meant to point to who to God to point us to him. So this Jesus has been pointed out to us, demonstrated and proven by these miracles and signs and predicted by the prophets. We're gonna see that and where Peter goes next. And then he reminds us that what? He was delivered up according to the plan and the foreknowledge of God. So when we see the crucifixion, we've talked to us, who killed Jesus? Now the Pharisees did, Pilate did, the soldiers did. It's true, these, all these individuals were involved in his, in his death But ultimately, the prophets talk about how God the Father would one day send his son to die on the cross for our sins. God the Father is behind it all. Matter of fact, Isaiah 53, it's a description of how the the Messiah would suffer. He would be despised and rejected and beaten and scourged and flogged. And At the end of that passage in verse 10, it says this, that it pleased God to send his son. And as difficult as that is for God the Father to send his son to suffer and die for you and for me, ultimately it pleased God. It was his plan. He did it on purpose. Jesus didn't get caught or cornered like that was the unfolding plan of God. And he was crucified and killed, but that's not the end of the story. He was also what? Raised up. What Peter just did is he walked us through the gospel right, that God had a plan before time to seek and save those who were lost and his plan was to do what? To send his son according to the prophets to suffer and to die, to be handed over to lawless men but death wouldn't keep him. He would rise victoriously over sin and death that in him you and I might find hope and find salvation so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord might be what? Saved. Peter just did. He just went over the gospel with us. Now, what he's going to do next, we're going to see this really helpful pattern in what preaching is and what preaching should be. So, in verse 25, he begins to consult the scriptures. In verse 25, he says, For David says concerning him. So, David here is King David. Right? Shepherd boy, killed Goliath, became king, committed murder and adultery, right? Repented. That's the David he's talking about. Wrote most of your Psalms. So that David says concerning him, Jesus. So David said some things that were about Jesus, and he's going to quote Psalm 16 I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence so what Peter's going to show us is that while David was writing this song. And it came out of David's heart. It came out of what he was thinking. Now, David thought he was writing about himself. But what Peter's gonna show us is that David was actually writing this about Jesus. And he's gonna explain to us how that works. Look at uh, verse 29. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. And here's the catch. And his tomb is with us to this day. The difference between Jesus and David, right? David stayed buried. His his soul saw corruption. His body saw decay. Not so with Jesus. And so he's going to point to that fact, the idea that David's still in the tomb. Jesus is not. David was ultimately not writing about himself. He was writing about Jesus. And he says in verse 30 about David being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, he saw ahead of time, and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Specifically, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. You see how, David, how, Paul, how Peter does that with David? He reads an Old Testament scripture. He says David was writing this and writing out of his own experience, but ultimately David was a prophet pointing forward to somebody else. He was pointing forward to Jesus and he was writing specifically about the resurrection of Jesus. David was preaching the gospel beforehand. But Peter's showing us this in his his sermon. He makes a reference here about how um, David knew that one of his descendants would sit on his throne. That's a really important piece of Peter's sermon because what he's referring to is 2 Samuel 7. In 2 Samuel 7, at the beginning of the chapter, David is talking with Nathan, a prophet, and he really wants to build the temple for God. So they've, they've established the nation of Israel, uh, Jerusalem is the, is the key city, and now David wants to build a temple. And first of all, Nathan's like, David, you've been successful so far, I don't see why God's going to stand in your way. And later on that night, God speaks to Nathan and tells Nathan to go back to David. And so Nathan goes back to David with this message in verse 12. He says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's, David, you're gonna die. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Here's the key. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He wasn't just pointing to David's children and their children. He was pointing to one who would come in David's lineage who would sit on the throne forever. Who would sit as the king of Israel, not for a generation, not until somebody overthrew him or until his corruption got the better part of him, but a king who would come sit on his throne forever. But the key is this king would be related to David. That's why it's so important in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke that we see the lineage of Jesus literally comes from David. And so Jesus comes as this one who would sit on the throne of David forever and so Peter's point is this is that as he looks at the scripture and explains the scripture, is that ultimately David was pointing forward to Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, who was proven to you, who was who was who was um, told to you by the prophets, he was handed over to lawless men, he was crucified and killed, and God raised him up. That's the one that I'm talking about. Now he's gonna he's gonna do this again in verse 32. He continues to explain to the church this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. We saw this. It just happened like seven weeks ago. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Remember, they just had that powerful moment where the Holy Spirit of God shows up and it's it's like the wind, but it's not the wind. And it's such a powerful manifestation of God's presence that it's, it's like the wind is shaking the building and they see these tongues of fire. And we explained last week the symbolism of those, those tongues of fire. Well, these very people, like they were there. He's explaining to them what was, what was happening here when he says this. And then he goes on to refer to David again in verse 34. He says, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says... The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, and here's his thesis or his conclusion, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Lord, meaning like King, Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God comes as the King in the lineage of David to sit on the throne of God forever. Jesus comes, what? As the Messiah who was promised to come and to suffer for our sins, that by his stripes we may be healed. That's Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. So my question is, I move through this sermon from Peter. I'm thinking, okay, now I have an idea of what I'm supposed to do when I stand up and preach. Now I have an idea of what I'm looking for in a church uh, when I wanna discern whether or not that church is modeling biblical preaching. Right, The scriptures first and the scriptures are then explained and then we're going to see in a minute that the scriptures are then applied to our lives and then we're called to respond. Because I think through that, I asked myself this question, okay, is this the only pattern or is this just one way that preaching can happen? Maybe there's like a hundred different ways. This was just Peter's style. So I began to think about some of the instructions that Jesus gave after his resurrection And I began to think about some of the things that Jesus did and the message that Jesus himself preached after his resurrection. I want to look for just a minute at um, a resurrection appearance um, with two disciples who are on the road to Damascus. You may remember this story um, from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, After the resurrection, two disciples, they're really upset that Jesus has been killed. Um, They're just really struggling with this. And so they're, they're walking and Jesus comes up beside them. He gives them a story and they don't recognize him at first. Let's just pick up a few verses from this. This is in Luke 24, verse 24. Luke 24, 24 says, Some of those who were with us, though they're they're explaining to Jesus why they're struggling. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So Jesus is like, why are you guys so sad? Jesus has been killed. They're saying this to Jesus. And then not only that, some of the women went to the tomb and they found that it was empty. And so Jesus responds in verse 25, he says to them, "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So Jesus is validating his message by whom? The prophets. He's doing the same thing that Peter's doing here, right? He's explaining to them from the prophets what's going on. Look at what he does. Was it not necessary that the Christ or the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then look at what Jesus does. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. It's your Old Testament. Look at what he does. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He opened up the Old Testament with these two disciples and began to show them how the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus so what Jesus does this is how he preaches and teaches we fast forward and there's another resurrection appearance where now he's in the upper room with the 11 and this is also in Luke 24 um, look at this with me Luke 24 starting in verse 44 it's so like 20 verses later um, then he said to them, so he's appeared to the 11 and he's going to say something similar then he said to them the 11 these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be what? Fulfilled. We don't open the Old Testament just looking for examples of where God has fulfilled promises. Our assumption is God has fulfilled everything he promised. This is what Jesus is doing. He's showing them all the promises of God, all the prophecies of God being fulfilled. From where? The law The prophets and the Psalms, which is in like in the Hebrew language or in the the Jewish culture meant the entire Old Testament. That's how you would describe the Old Testament. And so what Jesus does is he begins to interpret it and explain it to them. verse 46 and he said to them, "Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to the nations beginning from Jerusalem." Church, this is what Peter's doing. The thing that Jesus said should happen, this is what Peter's doing. The church started. What are we going to preach? What are we going to proclaim? Oh, remember what Jesus told us to do? He showed us how to do this? And then he told us to go do what? that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And then verse 49, and behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, the Holy Spirit, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The very thing we looked at last week, this Holy Spirit showing up and empowering them, what Jesus is saying, this Holy Spirit is gonna empower you to do what? To proclaim me to the nations. That repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name, starting in Jerusalem, ultimately where? To the ends of the earth. This will be your message, church. Hey, 11 disciples, this will be the message that you are empowered to deliver. So we've made it about halfway through his sermon. What we call this in the preaching world, this kind of method of preaching is expository preaching. Preaching or um, the other, another word for it would be expositional preaching. You may have heard that, or even exegetical preaching. I like the, the beginning with the, the E, the beginning. I like, I like exegetical, because it sounds like excavate. It's the idea, now listen, this applies to you in your daily devotional time with the Lord, what I'm about to say, but it, it begins with what? Opening up God's word with the intent, I wanna excavate. I wanna know what God's word says, before i draw my conclusions i want to know what god's word says before i draw my applications now there are other methods of preaching that you may have sat under that have been beneficial to you and helpful and i wouldn't say this is the only way to preach but this is the biblical model we're given for example topical preaching you may have sat under topical preaching where a preacher stands up and says today we're going to talk about grace And so there's an opening of God's word, there's an explanation of God's word, there's an application of God's word to your life, and then there's a call to respond, okay? I'm okay with topical preaching as long as it's expositional. (laughs) As long as God's word gets to speak before the preacher. You, You hear me on that? Like as long as God gets the first word and the preacher's job is to do what? To explain to support with other passages of scripture, to illustrate, to apply, and then appropriately call ourselves, not just you, ourselves to respond. Okay, so this is the model of preaching in the early church. Not just what feels good, kind of tickles the ears, it makes me feel warm, makes my heart feel like, oh, I just felt so good, I'm inspired now to go out into the world. Sometimes the message that comes out of here, it's heavy weighty it's convicting the the word that's used and we're about to read it is that it cut them to the heart have you ever been cut to the heart by God's word and the good thing is is that God is a surgeon and when he cuts to the heart he does so with such perfect precision that's appropriate and it's right look at what happens next verse 37 says now when they heard this they were what cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How do we respond? How do we apply what we just heard? darling? This is big, Peter. What you're telling us is that all this stuff written in the Old Testament is about Jesus. And that means that Jesus is the son of God. He's the king of Israel. He's the Messiah. He was crucified by a lawless men. He was raised up and he sits at the right hand of the father. What do we do with that? That's cutting deep into who we are and we don't know what to do with that verse 38 and Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this is the primary application of the gospel in our lives repent and be baptized receive the Holy Spirit Let's unpack that for a minute. I know the word repent, it has some confusion in the church. What does it mean? Sounds like a really harsh word. It's a heavy word. Um, earlier, we were singing a song that had some heavy lyrics. Um, May the vision of you be the death of me. Does that catch anybody off guard? You're like, oh, that's, that's kind of heavy. <laughs> like I didn't, like that's, I didn't expect to sing that at church. So what does that mean? I spend most of my effort in life trying not to die. And now I'm showing up at church singing songs about dying? The idea behind that is this, that God would make himself known. So if you're singing those lyrics, God, make yourself known to me in such a way that the vision of you, how big you are, puts something to me to death. And it's not the idea of a physical death. It's not, not necessarily even the idea of death of identity. It's the idea of the death of the ego, the sinful part of me, the part of me when, that when I let it out, it hurts people. right, the part of me that when I let it out, it's a reminder that I'm still struggling with sin. Like put those parts of me to death. May the vision of you, the good vision of you, the powerful vision of you, the gracious vision of you, put to death in me all that is corrupt and evil and unkind and hurtful. That's a good prayer. If you're married, that's a really good prayer. Put to death the things in me that keep coming out sideways and hurting my spouse. I'm tired of doing it. God, put that to death in me. Okay, this is a way of of thinking about repentance. Repentance is, first of all, begins with accurate self-awareness. I finally admit who I am. With my weaknesses and my brokenness and my limitations, okay, this is who I am. This is what I'm chasing after to find pleasure, joy, and meaning, and those things don't work. So I'm gonna let go of This sinful behavior, I'm going to let go of these sinful desires and I'm going to do what? I'm going to turn and take hold of something better. This is what repentance is. It's a turning from and a turning to. It's not enough for you to just try to lay down your bad habits. That's not repentance. If you're not turning from what is evil and corrupt and hurtful inside of you and broken inside of you, turning from that and turning to something better, guess what you're going to do? You're going to circle right back around and pick it back up. You go, ah, when did I do this again? And that's, I mean, almost like a humorous thing, but in reality, like that's, that hurts, doesn't it? The Bible actually says that's like a dog returning to its vomit. I didn't come up with that imagery. That's Bible talk. Like that's a big deal. So repentance isn't just letting down. It's like turning from these hurtful, harmful, sinful things to something better. What are we turning to? We're turning to the person of Christ where I used to seek joy and security and peace and these worldly things that don't work, I am now finding those things in Christ. I'm repenting. I'm yes, admitting, yes, sin, brokenness in me, but it's more than that. You, are you with me? It's more than just saying I'm a sinner. It's like, no, I've been pursuing these things and I'm no longer going to. I'm gonna turn now and pursue Christ, repent, and be baptized, This is a really important part of the church's message. It's an important part of your message. Baptism is your opportunity to come before the church and say, listen, I've put my hope and trust in Christ. I've repented. I've turned away from these things and I've turned to Christ. And Jesus gives us this baptism to be this beautiful living portrait of this supernatural inward work that he has done in your life. Jesus himself was baptized, and he has commanded those who would claim to be his followers to be baptized. This public announcement, this public demonstration of your inward faith in Christ. Repent and be baptized, and what? Receive the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week, so we won't go far into it. But the idea that if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have questions about what that means, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, the first place I would encourage you to start is um, our Statement of Faith as a church online. You go and you can find it and it has all kinds of scriptural references. You can go read about what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life now that you're in Christ. I'll just read an excerpt from our Statement of Faith. Here it goes. For those who believe, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, is the indwelling presence of God who regenerates, that's a really good word, sinners into saints. I almost want to ask you to raise your hand if you're a Christian, but I won't. Just raise it on the inside. Like imagine yourself raising your hand, okay, if you are a Christian, okay? Now keep your hands up if you're a saint. All who are in Christ, according to the word of God, are called what, saints, Ephesians 4. Paul opens his letters that way. Ephesians 1, like I'm writing my letter to who? The, The members of the church, those who are saints, So, he regenerates sinners into saints. He, he's causing the believing sinner to be born again into this new life in Christ. He guides believers through the lifelong journey of sanctification. That's a slow process. We grow by inches, not by miles, kind of like trees over time. It's, it's the Holy Spirit doing that in you. Uh, he empowers believers for Christ like living. He equips believers with spiritual gifts, including the miraculous spiritual gifts listed in the scriptures for what? For the edification and the unification of the church and for living the mission of Jesus to do what? To take that message forward and make disciples of the nations. He eternally seals and guarantees the inheritance of the saints. All of those statements come out of scriptures and the scriptural references are right there on our statement of faith online if you want to go Um, look at that so first of all what is the content of Peter's message Jesus of Nazareth who is the Messiah he is the Lord he was demonstrated or proven by miracles and signs he was predicted by the prophets he was delivered up according to the plan the foreknowledge of God crucified and killed and raised up that's the content of his message how did he support and back that up with fancy illustrations and stories and and poems and songs Doesn't seem like it. What did he do? He just opened the scriptures and said, guys, this is what the Bible says. This is how the Bible points to this conclusion of who Jesus is. We look at Peter's method for preaching here. He preaches Jesus from the scriptures. He taught and explained the scriptures. He applied the scriptures and he called his audience to respond. This is important. Preaching includes teaching, but there is a distinction between teaching and preaching even in the church. And here's the distinction. Teaching would just be opening up the scriptures and explaining them. But when I preach or when preaching takes place, um, it's bigger than that. First of all, we're not just opening up the scriptures, we're opening up the scriptures and we're proclaiming a message to be true. But in the end, we're calling to response. We're standing on the authority of what the scriptures just said and said, okay, if we believe these scriptures are true, here's how these scriptures just instructed us. As fellow believers, we're called to respond. And so that distinguishes preaching from teaching when the preacher calls us, calls the church. I mean, Peter doesn't like soft sell it, does he? What do we do? What does Peter say? Here's what you do, repent and be baptized. That's the call to response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus. Now let's talk for a minute about the crowd. We hear that 3,000 of them were saved that day. That's, that's a pretty big day for the church. From like 120 to 3,120 approximately one sermon later. So yes, there may be other ways of preaching and other methods of preaching, but this seems to be a, a pretty effective way to preach and to present God's word and to call people to respond. But not everybody in the crowd was buying what Peter's selling. Remember, we looked at that last week. Some of the people in the crowd thought that they were crazy. The only way they could explain what the Holy Spirit was doing like sounding like the wind and looking like fire, was these guys are drunk. That's what they thought. This crew is crazy. We can't explain what's happening. There's no practical explanation that comes to mind that we have peace with. So let's just take a step back and assume they're all drunk, they're all crazy. There were some in the crowd who responded that way. There were probably some in the crowd, and I think we're gonna see this play out as the church moves forward, who were like, you know what, I'm drawn in, but I'm not all in. Something intriguing about what Peter just said, something's cutting in my heart, but I'm not quite ready to let go and grab a hold of this thing with everything that I am, right? So there were some people who moved forward who were were on the fringes, they weren't all in. And these are people who oftentimes will use Jesus like a good luck charm. Like I just want enough of Jesus to have a good day, but not enough that I would give my day to him. I want just enough Jesus to, like, to make my life better, but not enough of Jesus that I have to give him my whole life, right? That's the idea of kind of a religious Christianity, which is kind of religion, and then Jesus becomes this kind of like good luck charm. I'm going to live my life how I want to live, and when I hit a hard spot, I'm going to call on my good luck charm to come help me get through the hard spot, when in fact, your Lord Jesus <laughs> is saying, hey, let's don't go that way. <laughs> I've got a different path for you. No, I'm not gonna help you get over this obstacle that leads to more destruction. Why would I do that? No, I'm calling you to repentance. Let go of that mess. Let's go somewhere better. And so there were those in the crowd who responded in those different ways, but then there were those who responded with sincere faith. About 3,000 souls. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but that doesn't mean that everybody's gonna call on the name of the Lord. We'll just finish this together. Peter says about this promise in verse 39, he says, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's a big day in the church. And I believe this sets the pattern. Any other sermon you're going to look at in the scriptures is going to follow the same pattern. Maybe, maybe Paul will use different Old Testament references, but he's going to follow the same pattern. Let's let the scriptures talk, the scriptures point us to Jesus. Our response is what? Let's repent. Let's turn to Christ. Let's put our faith in him. Let's live for him. So I just want to end today. One, I hope that you have a better understanding of what biblical preaching is supposed to look like. Um, If you ever have questions about the preaching that takes place here at Solid Rock, um, we're open to that, whether it's me or somebody else on the team. Now, it's always best that you don't, like, come at us, like, 30 seconds after we come off the stage and, like, just blindside us with a huge theological question. But we want to hear them. So catch us in the comments, shoot us an email. Let's set up a time and talk about it. any questions that might come out about, about the preaching or that come out of the preaching, okay? That's, that's important and that's biblical, that anything I say is measured against the scriptures. Anything that any of the other guys say up here is measured against the scriptures. You as the saints have to keep your ears open and your eyes open to that. Here's some application that I wanna, I wanna draw from today though that, that hopefully will, will help you think about your response. First of all, let's talk about what you believe. Do you believe that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, the Messiah who the prophets promised would come, who was demonstrated and proven by signs and miracles, who was delivered over to lawless men by the plan and the foreknowledge of God, who was crucified, killed, And whom God raised from the dead do you believe that that's that's the starting point from there I just want to ask you some things have you truly come to the place in your journey where you've called on the name of Jesus and you've repented you're like hey I'm done with this I'm ready for something better I'm gonna call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Have you truly come to that place where you've like acted on what you just said that you believe? Okay, I believe this is true about who Jesus is. Then he calls you to turn to him. Have you done that? Have you truly turned to Jesus? Here's another question. Have you been baptized? We wanna be cautious that we don't put baptism out as this mode that fixes everything. We talk about it here. The water that we use, it's Fort Worth City tap water. I'm pretty sure there's nothing supernatural about it. But listen to me, make no mistake about it. What baptism is symbolizing is supernatural. It's sacred. It's meant to be held in high regard and not flippantly. And it's an important part of your journey in following Christ, repent and be baptized. If you've not been baptized, like we wanna know that and and we wanna answer any questions you have. And ultimately, if you're in Christ, we wanna baptize you. We leave here today. If that's you, you can grab me or grab one of our elders and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about baptism. We'll set up a time to talk about baptism. And if that's what God is actually speaking in your life, we're gonna affirm that and we're gonna set up a time for you to be baptized. The last question is this. If you say, yes, I believe that Jesus is all those things, then let me just ask you this. For whom or for what are you living for? What is the story of your life proclaiming right now? For whom or for what are you living for? What, have you spending, what are you spending your time and energy on? What is the message? What is the sermon coming out of your life? Okay, because the gospel points to Jesus as your Lord and your King. And whether you stand up here and preach or you serve kind of behind the scenes and you're kind of that person, great, I love it. But what's the message coming out of your life? Is it Jesus? I want to pray now with you and um, ask you to think about how you might respond today. If you want um, to talk with a prayer partner, they'll be down front. Our elders will be out in the commons. We'd be honored to pray with you or answer any questions you have as you respond. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this really clear reminder from the scriptures of what preaching is to look like. And Father, we acknowledge that because we are involved in preaching as um, f- sinful, fallen men, that oftentimes, Father, our words need to be measured but thank you for showing us today how to measure our words against the scriptures. More important than my voice or my insight or my words or my illustrations, Father, is your voice and your word. There is no good sermon preached where your voice is not heard. And so Father, rather than looking for churches that preach good sermons, Father, we wanna be believers who are looking for for your word to be proclaimed faithfully. We pray that for Solid Rock Church, God, that you would consistently, constantly measure our preaching against your word. Father, I pray now for anybody here who's kind of wrestling like the citizens of Jerusalem were wrestling that day in Acts 2 with what to do with Jesus. I just pray, God, that you would make yourself known and that you would call them to action, to take a step of faith, to trust in Jesus. Maybe you're calling somebody to repentance. or Maybe even you're calling somebody into baptism. Father, would you make that clear as we sing this last song? And would you give us the faith to respond? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.